Well, good morning, South Winds. So good, so very good uh, to see you today. What a great day the Lord has blessed us with. Amen. Amen. I want to welcome you uh, to the final week of our series, Louder, where we've been talking about rising above the noise, where we have been exploring together how we can make the gospel louder than anything else in our lives. And I'm going to start today um, with this. The Mysterious Benedict Society is a four-volume young adult book series which started getting published in 2007. It has sold millions of copies. I'm sure some of you have read it. Uh, Just recently, Disney Plus uh, released it as a series. And here's what the books are about. A man named Mr. Benedict recruits four gifted young people for a special mission. And here's a still taken from the show. And all of these young people um, are orphans. They've been abandoned by their families. And Mr. Benedict chooses them to help save the world from this creeping despair that's taking over the planet. Everyone is feeling this despair, even the orphans. And in fact, in the very first uh, episode, one of them says... Every morning when I wake up, I feel like something terrible is going to happen and there's nobody in charge who can stop it and everyone is so scared all around us. Anybody felt anything like that sometime in the last 18 months? It's kind of interesting that this was written back in 2007, but you know, many people do feel this way today and The recruiter uh, tells this orphan who says this, he says, oh, that's the emergency. And in the story, the emergency is this thing that just kind of hangs in the atmosphere and it keeps people frightened all the time. The, The world needs to be saved from it because it is causing everyone just to give up hope and people are just acting in all these destructive ways And so these kids, they become part of this mission to save the world from the emergency. Later on, the kids ask Mr. Benedict, why have you picked us to be part of this secret team to save the world? And this is what he says. He says, it was clear you possess a quality that's severely lacking in our society, empathy. You see others. You care for others. Wouldn't you say, looking around that our world could use at least a little bit more empathy right now. It's kind of funny, again, to think about how these books just in an almost eerie sense predicted a lot of what's going on in our world today. You know, we look around and we just see so many people acting in so many toxic ways, hostile, selfish, uncaring. But we've been reminding ourselves that God calls us to something very different, right? You might say that God has called us to be a part of his mysterious society. He's called us to come up against that hatred and that fear and face those things with empathy and with grace and with love. And the problem is it's so easy for us as we've been talking through this series, it's so easy for us to just get distracted by the emergency. And have you noticed there's always, always, always a new emergency? I mean, they just keep coming up with them, it seems like. And and in this kind of uh, place and time in which we're living, it's so easy to get distracted from God's mission by all of the noise around us. And of course, that is what this series has been about, making the gospel louder than the noise. 
louder than the noise. Now, just to review where we have been, we have seen uh, that we can make the gospel louder by uh, stopping social distancing, which is not about six feet. It's about us as Christ followers not allowing lesser issues to get in the way of the gospel, staying unified around the gospel. We've, we talked about taking off our mask, which is about us uh, getting honest with God and getting honest with ourselves about our shame and our guilt so that God can set us free. We've talked about living generous, others-focused lives, not giving in to the temptation to hoard, but just deciding to serve, deciding to sacrifice. And then last week, we talked about replacing our feeds, making God's word our first source of truth, allowing God's word, the scriptures, the Bible, to judge all of the other sources of truth and information that we take in. Now, today's message, this final message, is, is connected to a very controversial topic in our society. And just want to remind you, as always, we're speaking metaphorically about this. And what I want to call this is this. We need to keep getting vaccinated. We need to keep getting vaccinated. Now, uh, if we step back from the noise that's going on right now about all of this, you know, we know that vaccines have historically been crucial to dealing with diseases that, that hurt and kill people. How many of you, and I'm asking you to identify your age a little bit here. I'm raising my hand I'll let you know ahead of time. How many of you remember knowing some people who had been crippled by polio, right? I mean, there's a lot of us here. This church is getting older, um, <laughs> just like me. But nobody gets polio anymore, right? Uh, Nobody gets smallpox. We, we don't see people, you know, dealing with uh, things like measles and chickenpox um, or all kinds of other things because of vaccines. And they have also been crucial, uh, whatever we think about them in this pandemic to fighting the virus. Vaccines have allowed people to gather again. They've allowed us to begin to take off masks to ease requirements for social distancing. One of the things we're discovering, though, is even today getting a vaccination is not enough. You know, almost all doctors, almost all epidemiologists agree we, we're going to need to get periodic boosters, you know, not just to keep our resistance high, but to fight against any of the variants that, that rise as we move into the future. And some, some people are saying we're going to need to get an annual COVID shot like many of us get an annual flu shot. Now, why is this? Well, the reason is that we need to keep guarding against infection. So here's the thing. Whatever you think about the COVID vaccine, and there are probably, let me see here, three or 400 opinions in the room right now, right? Whatever you think about the COVID vaccine, I think that you will understand, spiritually speaking, we need ongoing spiritual protection, amen? We need, in our lives, to always be guarding against the things that could infect us spiritually and if you could think about it this way, you could think about it, we need to do this by injecting ourselves with the things that will protect us. So how do we rise above the noise? How do we make the gospel louder? Today, our idea, our central thought is we need to keep getting vaccinated with the spiritual power that protects us. Now, as I was thinking about this concept this week, I was thinking this could go in a lot of different directions. You could probably think of dozens of topics that would address this. But I felt led to us, for us to think about it in terms of the gospel itself. 
We've been talking about making the gospel louder. And let me just put it this way. If we're going to make the gospel louder, we need to be sharing the gospel. Does that make sense? In other words, we could do all these other things that we've been talking about these last four weeks, but if we don't share the gospel, nobody's gonna hear the gospel. Are you with me on this right now? Does it make sense? Everybody say amen, just so I know you're awake. All right? We need to share the gospel. And so I want us to talk and look at um, a passage that really goes to the heart of what God calls us to be as a church. And it's a passage that if we do what the Bible tells us here, we will go a long way towards us staying spiritually protected against spiritual infection because we will be about the business of sharing the gospel. So that passage, if you haven't seen it yet, is 2 Corinthians chapter five, beginning in verse 11, go through the end of that chapter, and then the first two verses of chapter six. And I'm gonna read all of these verses, and as I do, I want to challenge you to listen very carefully, because this passage is, in a sense, like God telling all of us misfits and orphans that he has chosen from all around the planet, this is the task to which I've called you. This is your job. This is your assignment in the midst of this emergency that's gripping our planet. And it's kind of an interesting thing when you think about it. Paul spoke these words to really kind of distracted Christ followers in a city, a large city, an urban city called Corinth about 2,000 years ago, distracted by, by all the noise of their culture. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again by by giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that deserves an amen right there. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. 
For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And this is the word of the Lord and all God's people say, amen. amen. Now, this passage is really one of the most profound statements about the gospel and about the ministry of the gospel anywhere in the New Testament. And I want us to see as we go through this what the gospel's about and how we can truly make the gospel louder in our communities. And I'll just let you know ahead of time, we will not be able to cover everything in these verses. There's so much here. They're so rich, so profound. But what I wanna do is kind of lift up and highlight four key truths that I think can help us rise above the noise. Four key themes in this passage that can help us make the gospel louder as we carry out our assignment from God being his people in the midst of a noisy world. And we have a mission. That's what Paul is saying. And and to do it, to be part of a society with this God-given task, we just need to keep getting vaccinated with with some realities, things that if we live them will help protect us and will help uh, empower us. So what do we need to keep getting vaccinated with in our lives? Here's the first one. It's in the first verse, verse 11, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. So making the gospel louder, staying spiritually vaccinated will require that we keep on living in the fear of the Lord. And I want you to see this. Paul connects the fear of the Lord to our task to share the gospel in verse 11. Did you see that? He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. See, we we make the gospel louder as we fear the Lord, as we fear Christ. And we need to, in a sense, keep getting vaccinated with the fear of the Lord. Have you noticed sometimes you live in a place where you're living in reverence for the Lord and then other times you're not? Is that true for you sometimes? Sometimes we need to get it again, don't we? If we're using this analogy and metaphor, we need to get a booster shot and, and, and we need to bring ourselves back to this place where we are fearing the Lord. Now, what are we talking about here? Well, I always need to explain because some people misunderstand. Fearing the Lord does not mean we're living in terror of Jesus. See, the Bible is so clear. We see it in this passage, Jesus has saved us. He's not going to condemn us. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven. Jesus has taken us from death to life. He's adopted us into his forever family. And as we read this passage, we see Jesus became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He's not going to condemn us. We don't need to live in terror. But what fearing the Lord does mean is that we just live with a sense of reverence and awe toward Jesus We're always being reminded that he is the holy and the righteous one, that he is the one who created all things. And Jesus, he knows all things. And there is something wrong in us spiritually if we do not live with reverence toward Christ. See, fearing the Lord also means this. And it's always implied. You'll see it so much in the scriptures. Fearing the Lord always means we're not fearing people. We're not worried afraid of what they might think of us as we try to help them know what God has shown us. See, and here's the 
converse of that, when we're not fearing people, or when we're fearing people, we're not fearing the Lord. And so this, this uh, thing of fearing the Lord is so intricately involved in, in sharing the gospel because we will not make the gospel louder unless we fear the Lord. Because if we don't fear the Lord, we're gonna fear people and we're not gonna tell them about Jesus, right? See, when we fear the Lord, we will seek to make the gospel louder by persuading others. Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now, let me just ask you a question. Have you thought about this? Maybe you have, maybe, maybe you haven't, but do you think that you have a calling as a Christ follower to persuade others? Do you think that you have a responsibility to persuade others? Is that part of your job, your mission, your calling as a Christ follower? The Bible right here makes it really, really clear. Yes, it is. Paul says all of us do. And, and I bring this up because we kind of live in a time where a lot of people talk like, you know, it's, it's kind of bad form, bad manners, a little rude, maybe a little judgy to try to persuade other people with religious ideas. And I wanna keep pointing out to you, I hope you see it, it is so ironic how many of the people who say stuff like this are always, always trying really hard to make us believe their philosophical and their political beliefs. Have you noticed that? But it's in our cultural air that we're not supposed to try to persuade people. But here's the truth. I mean, I hope you see it. I hope you know it. Everyone, everyone is always trying to persuade you about something. Just is the way it is. It's otherwise known as life. <laughs> Persuasion, I mean, it's behind every company marketing a product. It's behind every politician with an agenda he's trying to persuade. It's behind every activist because the activists, you know, even these activists who will tell you, well, truth is only relative, but they're always trying to persuade you about their truth. I mean, Dan and I were in Livermore yesterday morning. We went through this thing called an art walk and it was kind of interesting to me how political so many parts of the art walk were. You know, there was stuff like, that's not art. In fact, there was a booth about climate change and, um, and it was interesting. I mean, they had people like painting on the ground or something like that. It didn't look like art to me. It looked like something over in kid's space. But we walked past and I kind of listened for a few moments and there was a, a woman standing in front of this booth very, very earnestly talking to someone, very, very clearly attempting to persuade this person about what, what she Believed, persuasion is everywhere, and I think we just we just need to get over the idea that persuading is out of place. In fact, if someone tells you you shouldn't try to persuade me, you should tell them, "Well, you're trying to persuade me that I shouldn't try to persuade you." I mean, this is true. I mean, I, I'm not just being sarcastic. It's true. If they tell you you shouldn't try to persuade them, they are sharing their belief, their opinion and trying to persuade you to accept it. They're doing the same thing they're condemning you for doing. And so we just kinda need to get over this. Now, persuasion is not about manipulating people with emotions, it's not about uh, giving them false promises. What do we persuade about? Not our agenda, we persuade people about the good news. We're a gospel persuading people. And reality is, friends, we have good news. 
And because we have good news, we believe that people need to believe it, and so we want them to believe it. See, here's the thing, what I'm trying to get across. We cannot make the gospel louder if we're afraid to tell people about the Jesus we love and we follow, if we're afraid to ask them in Jesus' name to repent and to believe in Jesus. So let's just, let's just all join the persuading party. Let's just say the gospel is too good to keep to ourselves. There are so many, many ways that we can do this. You can start today. I mean, it can be as simple as inviting people to come with you on a Sunday. It can be as simple as just being a good neighbor, as learning how to get into conversations with people where you learn to ask questions. You don't always have to be talking. You can listen. It can be as simple as inviting someone to just read the Bible with you. Maybe, maybe you're good at, at cooking things. You have a barbecue, you cook a meal and invite people over, spend time with them. Here's the thing, however you do it, and we're all called to do it, every one of us. Say, I'm called. We're all called to persuade others. However you do it, we do it in the fear of the Lord. And I would just encourage all of us to Take some time to discuss practically how we can do this um, in our life groups. Here's the second thing we need to keep getting vaccinated with, and it is the love of Christ. The love of Christ. We make the gospel louder as we are motivated by the love of Christ. And wouldn't you keep agree that we all need to keep getting vaccinated with Christ's love? I mean, it, it seems... It seems to wear off pretty fast sometimes, right? Um, look at verses 14 and 15 again. Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So Jesus died for all, and therefore all who receive him, we've died. And he died for all, here's the purpose, that those who live, and that's us, those who have received him, we live, those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so we're to live for Jesus. And here's the thing I just wanna contrast for you. I want us to think about the motivation that that causes us to, to live for Jesus. What is it? Is it fear? Is it judgment? Paul says, no, the love of Christ controls us. What does that look like? I heard a story recently, a pastor shared this story about a time he was speaking in Uganda at a conference for missionaries. And after one of the sessions, he said this young woman, a missionary, her name was Ellie, came and approached him and he, she was weeping. And he asked her what was wrong and she replied, I, I had to leave them, I had to leave them. And he said, what do you mean? And she explained that, that she had been part of a five-person missionary team, all medical health workers who'd been assigned to a very remote village that was so remote, not the villagers there, they discovered, hadn't ever seen plastic. And that's how far away it was. And they had been there serving for a few months when one day the village elders called all five missionaries together and they told them this. They said, we have to let you know that we are going to kill you. We're going to kill you one by one one day after another, starting tomorrow. When you got here, a drought started 
And we had plenty of rain before, so you must have stolen our rain, and that means we need to sacrifice you to the rain god until we get our rain back. Well, these five missionaries had to flee for their lives in the middle of the night. And this pastor said, as Ellie was telling this story, she was shaking with, with, with tears. And this pastor said, he thought he would help her with a few tips for handling fear. And he said, when he told this story, it's so dumb in retrospect what I was doing. He said, I, I started to share with her and she looked at me with surprise and she said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not crying because I'm afraid, I'm crying because I love those people so much and I want them to know Jesus and I, I want them to be saved from their sins and I want them to have health and I want them to know hope and I had to leave them. But that was a soul controlled by love, love for people who were threatening to kill her. In a story like that, I mean, it really should make us ask ourselves, what motivates us when we think about our neighbors in Tracy and in Mountain House and in Lathrop and wherever you live, when we want to serve our community or see it change, what motivates us? What, what motivates you when you think of this state that we live in, California, when, when you think of this country that we're citizens of, is your primary emotion irritation? Is, is it about how messed up it all is? Is your primary emotion fear about all the sin you see around you? Or is your primary emotion a sense of rightness that you are right and you know the truth and those people, they are so wrong? Now, there's some truth in all of those reactions. And to be truthful with you, I, I feel all those things at, at times, but I hope you see that what Paul is saying to these Christ followers who lived in a corrupt, pagan, godless, immoral Roman society, love should be what controls us, not any of those other responses. And so as we find ourselves individually thinking of our culture and of our neighbors and the people we work with, the people we always see around us as we go around our day, what ought to control us more than anything is love. See, love can control us, and here's how. It's when we just kind of keep on getting vaccinated with this reality, as Paul says, that Jesus has died for all, and Jesus died so that we might live, and Jesus died so that those who now live because he has forgiven their sins, they, that's us, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Does the love of Christ control you. People can tell what motivates you. People can tell if you are speaking to them out of a sense of superiority or judgment or fear. And they can tell when it's love. So keep getting vaccinated with the love of Christ. Here's the third way we need to keep getting vaccinated. And this is getting clarity about what our job is. I'm gonna call it our assignment. And our assignment is that we are ambassadors. 
to make the gospel louder as we share good news. We just need to keep being reminded of this reality that our mission, our assignment from God is we are called to be ambassadors. Paul says in verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. This is so important. God, Paul did not say we are Christ's revolutionary warriors or Christ's activists or we are Christ's judges. Even though the way a lot of Christians act, you'd assume that's what the Bible said. We are ambassadors. And another word you might use for that is we are diplomats. And think about, think about how this changes our approach to our culture I mean, by definition, isn't this true? Diplomats are diplomatic. They're supposed to be gracious, not harsh, humble, not proud. They're they're supposed to be full of empathy, not judgment. I mean, if you're a diplomat and you're not diplomatic in the country to which you're sent, what's gonna happen? We're gonna bring you home. You're gonna lose your job. See, ambassadors who do their jobs well are winsome, And just think about this. What what do you do as an ambassador? As an ambassador, part of what you're doing is exposing people to the culture of your foreign country, a culture that is strange to them. You're introducing them to something they don't understand. We are to be like diplomats of heaven. We are to be people who by our lives and by our words give people around us a little taste of the love and the joy and the beauty and the grace that they can experience in the presence of God because that is what's compelling, right? Our job is to be ambassadors. I mean, here's the reality. Love is how Christianity grew in the first place. I mean, just think back to the earliest centuries of the Christian era the Roman Empire, the first three centuries in the history of Christianity, how did Christians really conquer Caesar and and Rome? How did they win the hearts and the minds of Roman authorities who at times were were just determined to extinguish Christianity and, and they spread all kinds of slanders against Christians? Maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't, but in the early days of the Christian faith, Roman authorities and Roman people in general thought Christians were cannibals because Christians met in secret and they talked about these things where they would eat the flesh and drink the blood of their master, right? That got translated into your cannibals. Roman people also thought and called Christians atheists. That doesn't make any sense to us, but here's what they meant. Christians said there's one true God, that means they did not believe in all the other gods of the culture. Therefore, you're atheists because you don't believe in our gods. In other words, you don't fit. You don't belong here. So how, how did they go from this place of being a minority that was persecuted with slanders coming against them all the times? How did they fight those things? Did they fight back with insults of their own? Did they fight back with lawsuits and with shouting matches, with armed insurrections? No, none of that. How did Christians win over the Roman Empire and turn things from hostility to embrace? There's a scholar named uh, James Hunter who teaches the history of religion at the University of Virginia. And he published a book a few years ago about, about four uh, historical Christian approaches to culture. 
And the first one he talked about was domination, where, where Christians have tried, and this has happened many times, many places, tried to use political power uh, to get people to follow Jesus, even the people didn't want to. Assimilation is the second uh, approach, and this is where Christians just try to be so relevant to the culture that they themselves blend in and they become just like the culture. They're not like Jesus. A third approach was withdrawal. And this is where Christians withdraw into smaller and smaller and smaller circles, just Christians. They're trying desperately to stay safe from the world. And Hunter says that the problem with domination, assimilation, and withdrawal is that they all historically seem to work at first but they end up eventually collapsing on themselves and they end up weakening the Christian witness to the community and they weaken Christians as well. He says, if you look at history, these things don't ever really last. And he says, there's one approach that lasts and it's the approach that actually changed the Roman empire. He called it faithful presence. This is where Christians stay in their community, even through plagues and pandemics even through fire and flood. And Christians show the people around them, we are here for you. Even if you hate us, even if you persecute us, we're not gonna retaliate. Even if you slander us, we're gonna still be here and we're gonna still love you. And over the centuries, this is the only approach that, that builds up the church, that improves the church's witness, and in fact, that ends up changing society for any length of time. I mean, just think about this. Faithful presence, it kind of sounds like being an ambassador, right? And this is exactly why we do, just to remind you, Southwind serves, why we are looking for constantly ways we can serve our communities in tangible ways. It's because we believe that good deeds lead to goodwill, which opens doors for the good news. And in the long run, this is just faithful presence. Again, I wanna encourage you to take time in your life groups to discuss this topic and think of some ways that you and your group can serve your neighbors. This is how we can be ambassadors. It is our assignment. It is our mission. So we need to keep getting vaccinated with the fear of the Lord, with the love of Christ. We need to remember our assignment as ambassadors. And then finally, we need to keep getting vaccinated with what our message really is, and that is reconciliation. Look at this one word that the Apostle Paul repeats many times in this passage. This is verses 18 and 19. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see what he's saying? What's reconciliation about? Well, when there is a rift between two people, reconciliation brings them together. And that's what God is doing. You could put it this way, reconciliation means making enemies into friends. Maybe you could imagine a scenario like this. You have a rift that's happened some way, somehow between you and a friend and, and you wanna make it right. You, you don't like the tension, but you're, you're kind of afraid to even reach out to your friend because you think they might hate you or something. And, and so you just kind of choose to live with that tension, right? Anybody ever done this? You just stay in that place and, and then one day, there's like a knock at your door. 
and you go to the door and you open the door and there's your friend and your friend says to you, I I just wanted to take the first step to say, "I, I miss you and I love you and we're okay. This is what God did for us on a much broader and deeper sense. The Bible said there was enmity between us and God. We were God's enemies, but God sent his son Jesus to earth. And on the cross, Jesus took that huge step of reconciliation. In fact, I wanna, I wanna speak to anyone today who might be feeling distance from God. And maybe you're here and maybe you feel lost. Maybe you feel guilty. In fact, you know you have blown it. Maybe recently you really blew it. Or maybe it was a long time ago and you've never gotten over it. And maybe, maybe you're someone who almost didn't come today because you feel so unworthy. If that's you, I just wanna say to you today, please listen to me. God wants to reconcile with you. God loves you. He wants to make things right with you. And that is such good news. Paul says God has committed to those of us who have been reconciled this this message of reconciliation. And I wanna make an important distinction here that we must understand. Our message is not behave. And a lot of Christians get confused on this. In fact, if you ask most people who are not Christians to tell you what Christianity is about, if you look at all the surveys that people uh, take where they're asked about this, you know, they will say something like, if I go to church, their message is like, behave, be better. But that is not our message, according to the Bible. Our message is be reconciled. And once we're reconciled to God, then God changes us. That's grace, that's how grace works. And it is so easy for us to lose focus on this. Tim Keller explains how very important this is. He says this, we must never lose grasp of the difference between gospel grace and religious moralism. Religious moralism is another way of saying behave. And then he asks this, why does the church continually fall into the temptation to self-righteousness, dominance, and exclusion? because it loses its grip on the very core of its faith. Listen to this, he says, when we lose the existential or doctrinal grasp on the truth that we are saved by faith alone through grace alone because of Christ alone, we not only lose our joy and fall into fear, but we also lose our graciousness and fall into pride. He says, if the church continually moves towards dominance and control rather than love or service, it shows that it doesn't really believe the gospel that it preaches. And then he has these very poignant words. If the church doesn't believe the gospel, why should the world? Why should the world? This reality is a part of why next week we're gonna be launching a new series that we're gonna call Creed, and we're gonna be exploring together what the heart of our faith is. And we're gonna do that following the ancient path of the Apostles' Creed. And so I hope you'll be joining us for that. I hope you will invite people to to come and be part of that. And I just wanna, with that, ask this question. And it's a question to us here at Southwinds. What is louder in our lives? Is it the noise of our culture? Is it the gospel? 
And I hope these five weeks have impressed upon you and upon me in a greater and deeper and and even more profound way that we want the gospel to be louder than anything else in our lives. I heard a story recently I wanna share with you as we get ready to close. This was a story told by a Christ follower in the Bay Area. He was talking to a friend of his. This friend is actually an atheist. And this friend had recently had some relatives visiting from out of town. And the Christ follower knew this and asked how it was going. And this friend said, oh, you know, I always get into trouble with my Christian family. That's an interesting way to answer, right? You know, the Christians, I'm always in trouble with them. That's what he said. And, And this Christian friend said, trouble, well, what are you talking about? And this guy said, well, they're always on me about something, like swearing, and they're always talking about Christianity all the time. I never get a break. This Christ follower asked the question, what are they actually talking about? And this guy who's an atheist, he said, well, they they talk about Christianity. I want you to listen very carefully to what he says next. He says, you know, Christianity, what they hate about politicians, what they hate about culture, what they hate about the shows they watch on TV, what they hate about our country, all that faith stuff. And the Christ follower listened to this and asked, did they ever say anything about Jesus? And he said, this man who was his friend, who's an atheist, he paused and he looked down and it was clear he was really thinking, he was searching his mind, he thought about it for a long time and he said, then he looked up and he looked at his friend And he said, nope. So here's the question. Be honest with yourself. What is louder in your life? Is it your opinions on our culture and our country? And just so I am crystal clear, I am very troubled about what is going on in our culture and our country. And if you've been here for any length of time, I think you would get that. You would know that is the case. But we must keep reminding ourselves, Southwinds, we are Jesus people. We bear the name of Christ. We must not allow lesser things to become louder in the gospel. And here's the reason why. The gospel is so good. We've been given this gospel. It's a great gospel, unbelievably good news. Christ has died for all. And he's died for all so that we might become new creations. We don't have to live in death anymore. We get to live in life. We don't have to be hopeless anymore. We get to be full of hope. It's good news. It's good news. So is it gonna be louder? Will we keep getting vaccinated? Vaccinated with the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ, vaccinated with our assignment as ambassadors, our message of reconciliation. I'm gonna give you one final Tim Keller quote. He said, think of how God won you over, not by taking power, but by serving you, not with a sword in his hands, but with nails in his hands, not coming to judge, but coming to bear judgment. I'm gonna leave you with two verses from our text and they are reminders for those of us who follow Christ and they are promises, promises of hope that are offered to you who are here today, who are listening right now, who do not know Jesus, not yet. 
Hear the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is, Southwinds, the good news that we offer new life. And this is, friend, if you don't know Jesus, this is the offer being made to you, what Jesus wants to give you. So what will you do with Jesus' good news? How will you respond The final verse that we read earlier is chapter six, verse two, tells you what you should do. Paul says, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Receive Jesus today. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus for salvation, forgiveness, for eternal life today, follow him by being baptized. In a couple weeks, we're gonna baptize again. You can join us. There are people here, myself included, who are here to answer any question you might have. You know, I started, I started today by talking about the mysterious Benedict Society. And there is a very real sense in which we are part of a mysterious society. The world does not understand us. We look very, very strange to them. God has called us, you and me. We're a bunch of misfits and orphans, right? And he has called us to be his agents of empathy and grace and mercy and love. In a world, a world where there's so much emergency, a world where there's so much hatred, we can be different. So let's make the gospel louder, Southwinds louder than anything else in our lives. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray together?